grateful for the men and women who have served and who continue to serve our country. They show us what it means to sacrifice, what it means to live for something greater than ourselves, and what it means to serve. We lift them up to you in prayer, and we ask for your divine care and protection for them. And now, Lord, may your spirit be among each of us now as we look to your word for truth and understanding. May our hearts be softened and made ready and willing to be taught and to be changed by you. Give us a greater desire to live our lives according to your grace and truth. Amen. This morning, I'm I'm going to attempt to weave a number of things together, and the sermon's going to walk through a couple different uh, passages in the Bible, but the central focus will be on an important and reoccurring theme in the Bible, and that is covenant renewal. So I'm telling you what the sermon's about there, covenant renewal. So if you leave today and someone asks you what it is, if you can say covenant renewal, you kind of landed on it. But then if they ask you, well, what does that mean? Then you might have to listen a little more. But at least you got the first part, right? So covenant renewal. So what is it? What is covenant renewal? Well, first, let's start with the, the word covenant. What is a covenant? Well, covenant is a promise. It's a binding contract between two parties. And it comes with stipulations and consequences. Both, you know, good consequences. We might call them blessings. And also, bad consequences for breaking the covenant. But before I go any further, here's an important note. God is never obligated to enter into a covenant with us. He is never obligated to do so. God is the creator of all. King of kings, Lord of lords, the Alpha, the Omega, the Almighty, the all-powerful, the transcendent. God is not dependent on us. And God does not owe us anything. But, here's the but, God freely chose to enter into a covenant with his people. God gives of himself willingly. And he enters into a relationship with us. And he binds himself to us through this concept of covenant. And so if covenants are binding contracts, meaning, you know, both parties are subject to upholding the terms of the contract, we think about this in relation to God. Well, God is faithful. God will always and has always been true to his side of the covenant. There's no promise that has been left undone by God. It's us humans that are the problem, right? And we especially see this clearly throughout the Old Testament. If you read the Old Testament and you're like, man, some of those guys are terrible. They can't keep a promise for like, you know, a week. But there are a number of times throughout the Bible when God's people did choose to walk obediently before God. And during these times, we see the people of God renewing their commitment to the covenant. They had a covenant renewal. And uh, author, teacher, pastor, he's, he's kind of a lot of things. He, he passed away a few years, but R.C. Sproul, he said this of these episodes of renewal that we see in the Bible. He said, at the heart of these episodes was a rediscovery and reawakening of, pe- of the people's commitment to the terms of their contractual relationship with God. 
It was a return to the covenant. It was a return to the original promises that the people had sworn and the sacred vows that were taken in the presence of a holy God. And it was a return to a commitment to obedience. You see, these times of rediscovery and reawakening led to a return of the people to a right relationship with God. The people experienced this kind of personal revival in their hearts, a renewing of their minds, and they turned from their wickedness, and they chose the greatest good, which was to set their affection and their hope on God and to walk obediently before God. Well, in light of Veterans Day, I thought it would be nice to turn our attention to a passage involving one of the great military leaders of ancient Israel, and that's Joshua. If you want to know more about Joshua, you can look up basically his book, the book of Joshua. That's where you can find a lot of his stories. But his story doesn't really start there. His story begins before that during Moses' life. See, Joshua had served as Moses' right-hand man, his, his protege. And at the end of the book of Deuteronomy, specifically chapter 31, Moses appoints Joshua as the next leader of God's people. Before, right before Moses dies, he, he sets Joshua as the next leader of the people. And it was Joshua's charge to lead the Israelites across the Jordan River and into the the promised land. Why do we call it the promised land? Well, it's this idea of covenant, this promise that God made to his people that if they continue to walk in obedience, that God would give them the land. And so Joshua did obey the Lord, and the Lord granted him success just as God had promised, and they took possession of the land. But where I want to focus for a bit is on an episode that a occurs at the very end of the book of Joshua. And this scene occurs after all of Joshua's military conquest. So he's, he's, he's done the battlefield. They've kind of been at peace for a while. And uh, it picks up, I'm going to pick up in Joshua 23, verse 1. It says, A long time afterward, when the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their enemies all around, and Joshua's old and well advanced in years, Joshua summoned all of Israel, their elders and heads, their judges and officers, and said to them, I am now old and well advanced in years, and you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. For it is the Lord your God who has fought for you. I have allotted to you as an inheritance for your tribes those nations that remain, along with all the nations that I have already cut off from the Jordan to the great sea in the west. The Lord your God will push them back before you and drive them out of your sight, and you shall possess their land as the Lord your God promised you. Therefore, be very steadfast and observe, to, observe and do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, turning aside from it neither to the right nor to the left, so that you may not be mixed with these nations left here among you, or make mention of the names of their gods, or swear by them, or serve them, or bow yourselves down to them. But hold fast to the Lord your God, as you have done this day. I'm going to skip to verse 11. Be very careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God. For if you turn back and join the survivors of these 
nations left here among you and intermarry with them so that you marry their women and they yours. Know assuredly that the Lord your God will not continue to drive out these nations before you, but they shall be a snare and a trap for you, a scourge on your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish from this good land that the Lord your God has given you. What Joshua does here in this chapter is he puts before them the terms of the covenant once again. What God had already entered into a covenant with them, he reiterates that before them. And we see that God's covenant contains both a blessing in their obedience and a curse for disobedience. Blessing for those who honor the covenant, but a curse for those who break it. And Joshua lays this all out before them. But what Joshua does next is important. What he does is he gives the people an opportunity to recommit themselves to the covenant. This is an opportunity, opportunity to renew their commitment to God's covenant. And in this passage, you'll, you'll see the well-known, I call it the Hobby Lobby wall art verse, so be, look, be on the lookout for that. But this is Joshua 24. I must read verses 14 and 15. Now, therefore, revere the Lord and ser- serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your ancestors served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Now, if you are unwilling to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. There's the Hobby Lobby verse. It's a good verse, but yeah. But notice that if they are to commit to the covenant, they have to cleanse themselves of any other idol that, might be cling, that they might be clinging to, or even tempted to cling to. You see, with God, there is no option to just partially serve God and partially serve something else. The choice was put before them to serve God alone or not. And this is how the people responded to Joshua. We will serve the Lord, for He is our God. And look again at what they say. They make a pledge to serve the Lord. Not just saying, yeah, I I believe what God's saying. That's great. They're making a commitment to serve the Lord. Serving the Lord is a decision to live in willing obedience to God. It is conforming ourselves to God's will And serving is something that requires all of us. I want to offer just one other uh, R.C. Sproul quote, and it's related to Joshua's uh, verse, um, or verse 14 here in Joshua, where it says, Now therefore revere the Lord and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. This is what Sproul says. That is the challenge of every covenant renewal. Serve the Lord. It is not just to be converted to the Lord. It is to serve the Lord. That is what real revival is, service to God. That's what authentic renewal brings. That's what reformation is all about. When people are not only converted, but they are mobilized and they are committed to worshiping God, that is fearing the Lord, praising God, adoring Him, and then serving Him in their lives. 
See, Joshua and the Israelites renewed the covenant and committed themselves to serving the Lord. But as you might know, if you know anything about the Old Testament, over time the Israelites repeatedly break the covenant. They turn from God over and over again. I mean, go through the book of Judges. Go through all the kings of uh, Israel. All the ups and downs. But there were a few episodes of reawakening and renewal, like we see in Joshua. And one, uh, one other occurrence I want to mention is during the reign of a king named Josiah. And you may remember King Josiah from a sermon Harry gave just a couple weeks ago. And if you remember, Josiah was, he was the king that assumed the throne when he was just eight years old. And 18 years into his reign, so if I do my math right, that's what, like 26 years old? Uh, there were some workers working in the, the temple, cleaning things up, doing some repairs, and they come across the book of the law. Sometimes it's called the book of Moses, the book of the covenant, and it had been lost. They'd completely disregarded it. They had completely abandoned its, its, the covenant of it, obeying it. And Josiah had it read to him, and in hearing it, it's as if his heart was immediately awakened to a whole new reality and a whole new way of life. He was all of a sudden distressed by the sin of the nation, and he humbled himself before the Lord. And listen closely to what Josiah does after this. After he hears the word of the Lord, after he repents before the Lord and humbles himself, it says that then the king directed that all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem should be gathered to him. And the king went up to the house of the Lord, and with him went all the people of Judah, all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests, the prophets, and all the people, both small and great. He read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant. Notice he calls it the book of the covenant that had been found in the house of the Lord. The king stood by the pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to follow the Lord, keeping his commandments, his decrees, and his statutes with all his heart and with all his soul to perform the words of this covenant that were written in this book. And all the people joined in the covenant. See here too, Josiah and the people renewed their covenant with God. They committed their hearts back to God. Like Joshua and the people, they pledged to serve the Lord. And this was a time of great awakening and renewal. They also realized how distracted that they'd become. How meaningless were the things that they had been putting their trust in. And how they had allowed other things to take the place of God, both in their worship and in their personal lives. They once again turn their eyes toward God and recognize God's holiness once again. And so they destroyed all the idols. They destroyed all those meaningless artifacts that they had been worshiping. And there was a revival. Typically, at least in America, when we think of the word revival, that might, uh, you know, we might think of a revival tent or a revival weekend. And it's just about, you know, converting people to Christ but true revival is something much more than that. True revival is something for each and every one of us. It's for people who devote their life to serving God. 
Because revival is really meaningless without obedience. Well, in their renewed commitment to God, that led them to a renewed celebration of God. And I want to pick up um, in the story of Josiah at verse 21 and listen to what they did. After this point, after their hearts had been enlightened by God's word, after they had repented, after they had cast down their idols, after they had set their hearts on the Lord, this is what they do next. The king commanded all the people, keep the Passover to the Lord your God as prescribed in the book of the covenant. No such Passover had been kept since the days of the judges who judged Israel, even during all the days of the kings of Israel and of all the kings of Judah. But in the 18th year of King Josiah, this Passover was kept to the Lord in Jerusalem. Moreover, Josiah put away the mediums, wizards, teraphim, idols, and all the abominations that were seen in the land of Judah and in Jerusalem, so that he established the words of the law that were written in the book that the priest Hilkiah had found in the house of the Lord. Before him there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul, and with all his might, according to all the law of Moses. Nor did any like him arise after him. Their hearts had been changed, their lives had been changed, and they were set free to celebrate and rejoice in the goodness of God. And they they basically threw the biggest Passover feast that had ever been thrown. They were exuberant. They were set on fire. They had found a new way of life, and it restored to them the joy of salvation, the the joy of a relationship with God. When we commit ourselves to the Lord, celebration follows. We can rejoice because we know that God is good. And we see covenant and renewal and celebration when the temple is rebuilt and the walls are rebuilt in in Ezra and Nehemiah. But God is ever calling his people to enter into covenant relationship with him. And so we might ask, okay, what about us? Where do we kind of line up in all of this story, this narrative? Well, we know because the Bible tells us that God has entered into a covenant relationship with us. And it's one that kind of has its origins in the book of Jeremiah, but I'm going to read from the New Testament book of Hebrews. And starting in chapter 8, verse 6, it says, but Jesus has now obtained a more excellent ministry. And to that degree, he is the mediator of a better covenant, this new covenant, which has been enacted through better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there had been no need to look for a second. God finds fault with them when he says, The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I had made with their ancestors. On the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, for they did not continue in my covenant. So I had no concern for them, says the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds. I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach one another or say to one another, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. 
from the least of them to the greatest, for I will be merciful toward their iniquities and will remember their sins no more. And Hebrews kind of goes on and he, and he explains a lot, but I'm going to fast forward to Hebrews just chapter 9, verse 15. For this reason, he, being Jesus, is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called, that's us, may receive the promised eternal inheritance because a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions under the first covenant. This new covenant that God extends to us is the promise of life, the promise of forgiveness, the promise of salvation, and it is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. In his covenant, we are all clothed in Christ's righteousness, and we are called to continue in service to God in service to the Lord. To love and serve Christ is to live in obedience to Him. Jesus Himself says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Likewise, John says in his epistle, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. For the love of God is this, that we obey His commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God conquers the world. And this is the victory that conquers the world. Our faith. There is no greater pursuit in life but to live in God's presence. To be in relationship with God. To serve God. And to live our lives to glorify the Lord. So the questions for us are. What do we let get in the way of our relationship with God? What pulls us away from God? What distracts us from God? And this question, are we ready to embrace God's covenant and to serve the Lord in obedience with joy and thanksgiving? Please pray with me. Lord, we thank you that